All right, well, welcome everybody. My name is Tony, uh, EM pastor here at TLC. So good to have everyone to come out and just worship the Lord this day. If you are a guest, we are so glad to have you here. We pray that God's word blesses you and uh, you walk out different than when you walk in. Hey guys, we are in a series called Daring to Draw Near. Daring to Draw Near. And what the series is geared for is this, is that there's a difference between, you know, wanting to be in relationship with God and then daring to actually come and encounter God, right? There's, there's a difference between just kind of having an outward appearance of Christianity and going through the outward motions of it then, and then getting into the heart of daring to encounter this God that we talk about. Right? See, the beautiful thing about our God is that he is not a God that's far from us. He is a God that desires relationship with us. The only difference between here is that he's come to meet us, and yet we have a hard time coming to meet him. And so this series is designed to share with you guys certain encounters in the scriptures of when men begin to have the courage or have the moment to come and encounter God and how their life has been changed ever since. An experience with God is never without change. You guys get me? It's, it's not just an intellectual knowledge. It's not just an outward understanding. You cannot have an experience with the living God and not be changed. The question is, would you dare to draw near to him? And last week we talked about one of the ways in which we dare to draw near. When we begin to draw near to God, one of the things that he begins to kind of give to us is a trial. He sends something along our our, our life, he sends something into our life that begins to get us to be shaken up a little bit. He brings something into our life that begins to help, uh, begins to kind of force us to say, all these things I've held on to for my worth, my value, right? For my sense of security, all these things. I'm bringing this as a trial to you because I'm going to actually at this moment take it away. I'm going to threaten it. I'm going to put you in a position where you're going to ask yourself, what happens if I actually lost this? My bank security. My, 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 my job, my career. My relationship. Future family. What happens if God puts us into a position, into a trial for this? And when we dare to draw near to God, he does this. He brings us a trial to do what? In order to take us deeper than we were before. That as we go through this trial, we find ourselves, here we, here we thought we were so deep with God, so real with God, so true with God, but he brings us this trial to make us realize this is how much further I want to take you. The trials can either make us run Hide, disappear, or it can take us deep to encounter, to change, to transform. Today we're going to talk about one of the things that happens when we begin to engage with God. Suffering comes. The way God gets you face to face with him is through suffering. And some of us, we say, I don't like to suffer well, I'll tell you the truth here. As a believer, you're going to encounter suffering. And I promise you, an experience with God's presence is not always pleasant. 
if you're going to dare to draw near to God, you're going to engage in his presence, I promise you it will not always be pleasant for you. What happens when we engage in suffering? What happens when suffering comes into our life? What happens when something comes into our life, a sickness, a hurt, a pain, a situation that we begin to suffer tremendously for? How do we deal with suffering in our life? What resources does God allow for us to have to deal with suffering? I'm going to draw out the story of Job to help us understand this question. It's help us to give perspective of what to do when we are engaged in suffering. Okay? Christianity, I think above everything else, has the greatest resource of how to deal with suffering. Every other worldview, every other way out there, either you have to borrow from somebody, and usually you're borrowing it from Christianity anyways, but Christianity has the greatest depth of resource to help us deal with suffering. And so here it is. Today I want to share with you a couple things. A perspective of how to have, how to deal with suffering when we engage in it. Through this story. The book of Job. Okay? So let me uh, share with you just a background. I'm going to share with you a background of, of the story of Job. Because we don't want to read all 42 chapters, right? I'll share with you the background. And then I'm going to give you three lessons that comes out of it. Three ways in which we can have the right perspective and strength to deal with suffering. Okay? As we go through this. The first thing in the story of Job. In the beginning we learn in the story of Job, in the book of Job, is this. We learn that this man was a man that feared God and shunned evil. He wasn't some guy like wishy-washy believer. He wasn't some dude that's on the side line kind of giving lip service to Jesus or lip service to God. He was someone who feared God and he did not desire to do what was wrong. He shunned evil. And on top of that, he was a very wealthy man. And we get this kind of glimpse into the very, um, we, we get the, 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 the veil of reality peeled back and we see the supernatural realm here in chapter one where we begin to see that God was having this council among uh, his uh, spiritual divine being, his, his holy council of, of hosts. And he asked one of them, where have you been? I've been going back and forth, checking out this earth. And he looked at them, he says, have you checked out my servant Job? Have you found anyone as righteous as him. And this divine host, this, 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 this spiritual being said, you know what? Would, would Job really worship you for nothing? So here God, in this picture, is saying, have you seen my servant? He is righteous. He shuns evil. He worships me. There is none like him. God has declared this about this man, Job. And this being comes in and questions God. You don't know them, God. You don't know who they really are. You don't know their heart. He's only worshiping you because you're giving him everything he's got. You're blessing his life. No wonder he's worshiping you. Take those things away, and I promise you, he will spit and curse your face. So here, God was put in this kind of situation where he's kind of laughing, like, who do you think you are to question me, right? I already said that this Job of mine is a holy servant. But if you're going to question it, okay, let's put it to the test. Because before all of this host, I will declare to you this day how wrong you are. And so he told this, this, uh, this, this being, right, go ahead, strike him. Take it away. You can't kill him, but I'm going to allow for you to test him. 
So Job was attacked twice. The first time, the first attack that came, Job had all of his asset wiped away. Think about it. His bank account, right? his properties, everything he had of worth and value wiped off through storms, through thieves, gone in one day. And then on top of that, all 10 of his children wiped out in a freak storm accident. His response when that happened wasn't to curse God. Job didn't like, oh God, I hate you. What did he do? Rather, he ripped his clothes and he cried out this, naked I came into the world and naked I shall return. He gives and takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job had this absolute understanding. I had nothing in the beginning anyways. So now that everything's taken away from me, I still have nothing. I came with nothing. There's no reason why he has no reason that he gave and he takes away. So blessed be his name. Job remained faithful in the midst of losing everything, his money and his family. But that wasn't the first attack. The second attack came. Job's health was attacked. He had boils, skin disease, his health, his very life was at risk here. And then he had four horrible counselors to come around him to talk to him. Job's wife, his nearest and dearest, you know what she said to him? She said, Job, just curse God and die. Just curse. She counseled him to curse God and die. That's all you have left. Scream at heaven, tell him what you hate God, and die. Blame God for everything. Then his three buddies showed up and said what? Say, curse yourself. You must have done something terribly wrong for this to happen to you because no righteous person ever gets punished. So if you're getting punished right now, something terribly must be happening to you. One person said, blame God. The other three said, what? Blame yourself. And in the middle of the book, what happens? In the middle of the book, there's this back and forth. There's just this conversation of the friend saying, blame God, blame yourself, back and forth. And Job, throughout the whole entire book, he kept giving the exact same two answers. I've done nothing wrong. I'm an innocent sufferer. Why is this happening to me? I am righteous. I am a good man. You keep telling me I'm bad. I have done nothing wrong. And here's the second thing he said, but God won't talk to me. God is silent to me. God's not answering me. How many of you guys feel that way sometimes? You go through suffering and you're just crying out to God. Are you crying out to God, by the way, or are you just kind of cursing God? Are you questioning him? So what Job do, he was just crying. I was like, God, would you just speak to me? I just want to hear what, why you're doing this. Just come and reveal to me the reason. Why have you cut me off? Why have you stayed silent to me? And then finally, God shows up in chapter 38. 38 now. He's been, he's been nagged at by his wife. He's been given horrible counsel. His friends, instead of helping him, they're just making him feel worse. He lost all of his asset, worth, family, money. His health was in the sham. He was going to have boils all over his body. And in the midst of this, God shows up. He's been through hell. God shows up, and he's thinking, now God will give me an answer to why this is happening. God shows up, and guess what? God gives no explanations why. He gives absolutely no explanations to why. This, actually, God shows up, and he actually makes it even more. He, st- he started poking at Job even more, right? He gives no comfort. He actually attacks. He goes at Job relentlessly. He said this, who is it that darkens my counsel? Who do you think you are to question me? And for some reason, 
after all of that question, because uh, God gives him four chapters worth of questions to ask, Job's response, which we're about to read, was that he was satisfied. He, he didn't know why. God showed up relentlessly. When God relentlessly went at him, didn't even give an explanation to why this was happening. And after all of that, Job was satisfied by God. Job wasn't expecting what God did, and yet it helped him immeasurably. So here it was, right? And that's, that's where we're going to pick up from the, from, the, from the story. Job was someone who cried out to God. He, he undergone tremendous suffering, tremendous pain, and he cried out to God. Not because he hated God, not because he, he, he wanted to, like, why, God, you suck. He cried out to God because he wanted to meet him. He says, just, just come and explain it to me. I just want to know an explanation. I don't hate you. I don't want to curse you. I, don't, I believe you are true. You are real. You are my God. I just, just give me an explanation. All right? And when we find ourselves seeking God in your life, daring to seek God, and facing suffering. Because, you know, here's the thing about seeking God. See, when you guys have the courage to begin to say, yeah, I want to meet God. You know, I actually don't want to go through this kind of half-hearted Christianity anymore, this kind of half-commitment Christianity. I want to actually meet God. The moment that happens, you know what ends up happening? Suffering shows up. You know why? To get you to stop. Isn't it true? Suffering shows up, and all of a sudden, you say, like, I don't have time for God at this point. I got to deal with my issues. I got a lot of problems I got to deal with. And all of a sudden, that heart, that passion, that hunger, that wanting just disappears with it. So here we are, we, we want to seek God, and then suffering shows up into our lives. Something happens sickness, we lost our job, we're broken relationship, marriage is falling apart, kids are messed up. You're not where you think you were supposed to be. Your career is in a sham. Suffering begins to happen. How do we deal? And the story of Job gives us three lessons, three resources to have the right perspective and strength to deal with suffering. It gives us three lessons to have the right perspective and strength when we face suffering. So let me, get, let me, let me set this tone again. I promise you that when you begin to want to encounter God, like really meet him, you will face real suffering. Real suffering, where it hits at the very core of who you are. And oftentimes it does that because why? Just to test the question, will you serve him for nothing? Real suffering that comes at you to ask that very simple question. Will you truly serve him from nothing? And the moment that happens, two things can result. Either you will do what Job does, I'm going to share with you, or you will run and hide and just go through the minimal surface level faith. What three lessons do we learn here? Look at the opening Bible to Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to start with 1 through 6. Chapter 42. So here, God has finished questioning Job. He shows up in a whirlwind, gives Job all of these questions. Unbelievable. Right? Leaves Job uh, speechless. 
And then finally, chapter 42. This is his answer. Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. When we encounter, when we dare to draw near to God, and we are now encountering suffering because of it, how do we have the right perspective in our suffering that leads us to greater encounter with God versus leaving us to run and hide from him? The first thing is this, know who you are before God. Job's response reveals that he knew exactly who he, he became to realize who he is before God. He knew his position, he knew his level, he knew who God is, and he knew exactly who he is, what he is. Job's response to God, when God asked him, who are you that dare darkens my counsel? Who are you? that dares question me. Do you even know who I am? I'm not your peer. I'm not your buddy-buddy. I'm not somebody of equal place from you. I am the God of creation. I am the God of the living and the dead. I am the eternal God, the beginning and the end. I am God. Who are you to question my counsel? God was showing Job that there is no neutrality when it comes to your life. When we think about God, we think about God like this. Either God is powerful, but he's not good. That's why he can't, uh, that's why he allows suffering to happen to me. Or we think that what? God is good, but he's not powerful. That's why suffering happens to me. But Job is showing us what? No, guys. Look, either you're competent to judge God's knowledge, or God is superior and competent to judge you. There is no middle ground there. Either you think you're smart enough you're wise enough, you're equipped enough to judge God, or you come to the realization that he is superior and competent to judge you. There's nothing in the middle. God is saying to Job, the reason why you're having so much difficulty in your suffering, the reason why this is nagging and destroying you from the inside out is because you are assuming that you can understand everything. You are, you are assuming that you have some reasonable, logical knowledge in your head that you can understand everything. How naive, how arrogant it is for the created to believe that they know more than the creator. God shows up and says, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you there when I spoke heavens into creation, existence? Were you there when the lightnings came to me and asked me, where shall we go? Were you there when I spoke the dawn into reality? Surely you must know. Surely you're that great. Surely created. You have an answer to all these things. The arrogance to presume that you can sit in judgment of me. God is telling him, this is why you're miserable. Either there is a God and he has more knowledge than you and he knows more than you and how things are 
or there is no God. And if there is no God, why are you complaining? Right? If there is no God, why are you complaining? See, the reason why people say, oh, I, I hate that because, you know, th- there is no God, but I, I hate my suffering. Why? Because it shouldn't be this way. Why not? Because it's not right. Says who? Just because. No. You know in your very depth of heart, suffering is not right. Because we were never made to suffer. There's something innate in us that tells us, this is wrong. This is not natural. This is not how it's meant to be. But here I am. I'm suffering. But I don't believe in God. So what do I have to complain about? To who do I look for to complain? Because the only way you can complain is that you have to acknowledge that there must be a right and wrong. And to acknowledge that there's something right and wrong, you have to acknowledge that there's something who is beyond that to tell us what is right and wrong. It's like a person who complains about God not existing and complains about their suffering when they don't believe in God. It's like this. It's like a child. Like, like imagine Enoch who wants to slap his dad's face, but he can't reach me, so I have to pick him up first, and then he can slap me, right? He says, I don't think you're real, right? And he slaps him in the face. Yeah, but I had to pick you up. It's like us. Here we are, we're complaining. If we don't believe in God, if we don't believe that he exists, yeah, okay, he doesn't believe he exists, but I hate my suffering. I hate what I'm going through. This doesn't feel right. It's not natural. Why are you complaining? Who, what, what basis do you have to complain about? But if there is a God, if there is a God, then you have to come to this realization. I have heard about you, and now my eyes have seen you, and I repent in dust and ashes. Because why? Because surely there is something more that I do not understand. There is something beyond me that I thought I knew so much but I surely do not understand. Let me give you two illustrations for this, okay? I'll give you one personal and one uh, fictional, all right? Um, so when Seth was in first grade, you know, growing up, I, um, I, I, I taught him math early. I taught him, taught him a lot of math early, and I taught him like, you know how to multiply when he was like first. And so he, he thought he was the ish when he was in first grade, okay? He was, he was so smart. He's he finishing stuff up really fast. He's like, yeah, I'm so smart. I'm so good at math. You know, if you ask him like, what's your favorite subject? Math, right? It's like I multiply super fast. And, you know, we do, and we do like exercises at home. Like I give him like 100 problems. I say, all right, time, go, right? He'll do it. And, he, and then when he like gets a certain time, he's like, oh, just try again then. I want to beat that time. You know, he, he's racing. So he's coming into first grade, you know, he, he's, uh, he's doing pretty well. Compared to his other, student, uh, other friends, he's like, oh, man, I am, I'm good, right? And I'm just like, I was like ah, low cocky, man, right? And then I was, I was, I was uh, counseled by Tikim, our church, like, don't give him too much, don't teach him too much, or he's going to be too bored. So I stopped in second grade, all right? In second grade, he got into the gate. He goes in the gate, class, second grade, he comes home one day, he looks at me, he said, Daddy, I know nothing. I said, what do you mean? I said, I know nothing. Right? Did you know math has letters? Right? I was like, what? It's like, did you know pie is not just a dessert? I was like, who's, who's saying pie? Right? I was like, my friends, they're doing like, you know, math with like X's and A's in them. And they're doing like three-digit multiplication. I can't even do one. I know nothing, Dad. I was like, oh, 
Sucks for you, right? <laughs> right? So he steps in. He thought he had this, this, uh, this profound knowledge of it until he did what? He found somebody who had more knowledge. And he realized, I, I know nothing. All that I knew, I absolutely knew nothing. That's just from a human-human interaction. Imagine the difference between human and an infinite God. How about, um, have you guys seen the movie Bruce Almighty? Yeah, Bruce Almighty, right? Great movie. And the idea was this, this guy named Bruce, he was kind of upset with God. He was kind of upset with God because he, said, he felt like God wasn't giving him the fair shake. He felt like God was kind of like not helping him out the way he needed to be helped out. So he said to himself, if I had God's power, I could make things so much better. And so Morgan Freeman, who was acting as God, showed up. I'll give you my power. He didn't give him his knowledge, though. Not the omniscient. He just gave him the power. And Bruce was like, I have it. And so, yeah, you know, you see scenes of him, like, running on water. You see him do all these crazy things for the advancement of his career and all these things, right? And then as he just kept using his power for his own personal gain, that he thought was the best way to use it, what ended up happening? There was like a couple scenes. You know, as God, he had to answer prayers, and so there was all these prayers about winning the lottery, you know? And so he's just getting tired of just, he says yes to everything. He says yes, yes to all, right? And then, <laughs> and then what happened? Everybody won the lottery, right? This multi, $100 million jackpot was split between 100 million people, right? And so everybody got $1. It was a riot. It was a riot. Like chaos all over the street. Who are you that darkens my counsel? He, he, he wanted to impress his girl, so he lassoes the moon and brought it closer so it would be nice and beautiful. Thinking like, wow, and she was like, whoa, right? Next day, caused tsunamis and monsoons all over the world. The tides changed everything, right? And he realized towards the end of the movie that he, he had all this power and he, had, and he actually messed it up even worse. Why? Because who are you to darken the counsel of the living God. It's either he is God and you are not, or there is no God. There is no neutrality here. If he is God, then you must understand there are things that happen that is beyond your understanding of it. There are things that must be beyond you of why it is the way it is. If there is a God. If there is no God, no need to complain about your suffering. No need to cry about it. Because to what reason are you crying? Why do you feel like it's not natural or right? The only reason you even have that inclination for what's not, not natural or right is simply because why? Because you know in your heart there must be something bigger to declare what is right. So the first perspective we have if you would dare draw near to God, I promise you, suffering will come. But my prayer for you is that when suffering does come, you, you won't do what many have done before, is run. Push God away and just kind of get through their own business, trying to solve it themselves. But you would engage it with the right perspective. And the first perspective is this. Know who you are before God. There must be something beyond you that you do not understand about the suffering, okay? Here's the second thing. I know you guys are thinking, hold on, I got a lot of questions. I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up, I promise, all right? The second perspective, verses seven to 10. Look how often the word servant shows up here in these next few verses, okay? 
Verse 7 to 10. And after the Lord has said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, those, that's one of his, uh, his buddies who uh, gave him bad counsel. God said, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant will, Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuite, Zophar, the Namathite, did what the Lord had told him, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. What is the second perspective we are to have as we are encountering suffering? The resource that actually will give us a way to get through it. Recognize that he is the master and you're the servant. Right? Are you truly a servant of him, the master? See, God repeats Job's identity to him four times. My servant Job, my servant Job. You know why he's doing that? Because he was showing those three buddies of his, you guys are so religious, right? You gave the, you gave the most religious answer possible, which is what? You must have done something wrong because God can't possibly do anything wrong. That's why he's punishing you. You're only being punished because God is punishing you for the sin you've committed that you may not even know about. So blame yourself. What a religious answer, right? You do good, God blesses you. You do bad, God hates you, right? And God looked at them and says, I'm angry at you guys because you use religion to destroy my servant. My servant, this one, he understood. He understood his position, his identity the whole entire time. In the beginning, when the question was asked, would, would Job serve you for nothing? The answer at the end was what? Yes. He will still be faithful to you for nothing. God was right when he said, look at my servant Job, how righteous he is. The accuser said, would he really serve you if you took away everything from his life? Take away his career, see what happens. Take away his money, see what happens. Take away his family, see what happens. Take away his health, see what happens. And what happened? He didn't run. He remained a servant of the master. What we see in the end in verse four is that God has defeated Satan's act of, of uh, creating suffering on Job through what? He, God defeated Satan or defeated the accuser through his, suffer, through his servant, Job, by using suffering. Let me, let me paint that picture again, because like, I don't get that, Tony. Here's the accuser saying, look at these believers. Look at these people who call themselves Christians. They only, you know, give you the lip service. The moment you take something away, they're gone. The moment you make their life miserable, they're gone. The moment things get difficult, they're gone. I promise you, they'll be gone. And so God said, okay, I'll bring a suffering into their life. I'll make something difficult for them. And those who stayed, God would say, look at my servant. Suffering showed their true middle. Suffering showed their true allegiance. Suffering showed who they bow their knees to. 
suffering revealed that you cannot beat them. When suffering comes, God is saying to you this. Now you'll see whether you got into religion or not. Now you will see that did you get into this for me to serve you or for you to serve me? Now the true colors will be revealed. Suffering will show whether you are a servant of me or that you want me to be a servant of you. All of us are trying to get God to be our servant sometimes. Isn't that true? The answer here is saying true liberty comes when we understand as Job did that we are servants and he is the master. You guys realize that? Suffering, this is what the perspective is this. When suffering is coming at you, you have to begin to ask the question, am I going to get away from God at this point? Do I really hate him for this? Because he's not blessing me? He's causing this to happen to me? Or are you who has been saved by him say to God, says, naked I came into the world, naked I'll leave it. You give and you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Are you a true servant? Or are you a false believer in disguise? The perspective that suffering gives is to reveal your true heart before God. Do you really believe in him as much as you say you do? Right? COVID was a big one, wasn't it? We spent a whole two years trying to recover our, not just our church, but so many of the churches. So many of the American churches, actually. Right? This is, this is like almost a, it's like an epidemic within the pandemic, right? A spiritual epidemic within the pandemic where so many pastors were just struggling, realizing, I didn't, we, we probably did a really bad job teaching our people. Because when suffering really hit, they all ran. They took a vacation from God. They became distant from him. Their spirits were hurt. Everything was gone. And it took a while just to kind of realize that for the churches to reassess what they've been doing, right? This usually just it happens in the American churches, by the way. You, know, you go to a church in a third world country, it's not just pandemic that they're worried about. They're worrying about actually getting beheaded. They're worrying about their houses being raided. They're worrying about jail time for their moms and dads. They're worrying about the kids growing up orphans. They're, they face suffering daily and yet they're not asleep at all. See, suffering comes, and when the moment suffering comes, what does it begin to stir? It begins to ask the question. It begins to realize, it begins to show the true colors of where your heart really is. Are you a servant of the master, or, or have you been this whole entire time making him a servant of you? Using him for whatever, you know, if it's good for you, you're great, you'll, you'll take it. If it's not, I'm done with you. I'll give, you a, I'll give you a positive illustration because I was, I was running this through um, uh, Paul and Kevin, right? And he said, you're always too negative. Give one positive one too. I said, okay. So a positive illustration of suffering. 
uh, there was a, uh, a lady, uh, Joni, um, I forgot, uh, Joni is, hold on, <laughs> I looked her up too. Jo- Joni Erickson Tata, oh my gosh, Joni Erickson Tata, right? Quadriplegic. She was, a, she was a diver, Olympic diver. She fell, cracked her spine, complete quadriplegic. At that point, I mean, you live your whole life doing one thing, thinking that this is it. Now you can't even move. You can't, you can't raise your hand. You can't walk. You're quadriplegic. But Joni Erickson Tata, right, her heart was never to curse God and die. Actually, she took it and she said, if this is where God's place has, if this is where God has placed me, now I'll do everything I can in this time. She, she helped many disabled kids. Her, her ministry, if you ever look at Joni Erickson Todd, if you look her ministry up, it's, it's so beautiful. Unbelievable what she did. And this is her, her thing at the end. This is what she says. I don't know why this is happening to me, why it happened. But that when I, when I meet my God, I will come up to him. I will thank him. And then I will dance. Never once in the midst of tremendous suffering, when life is pretty much over, did she say, I'm done. I'm sure she went through a lot of depression, hurt, and pain. But as she went through the suffering, her heart was what? I'm still his servant. He's still my God. I'm still his servant, and he's still my God. I'm still his servant. And he is still my God. So I will live with every breath that he still gives to me. And I will do with whatever I can with this one life and this one time for his glory and for his name. For I am still the servant and he is still the master. Joni Erickson Tada. She didn't run when suffering came. She knew who she was, and she knew who God was, and she went forward. And again, look her up. The ministry she has is so beautiful, from 1960s to all the way to now, right? So when you dare to draw near to God, the one thing that is promised to you is this. Suffering will come, because suffering comes to you to help you, one, realize who you are before God. There needs to be humility before you. Secondly, it reveals your true colors of whether you are a servant this whole time to the master or have this whole time you've been trying to be the master and making him the servant. But I know this. You know yeah, theologically it sounds pretty nice, PT, but if you go through suffering, it still sucks, right? It still hurts. It's still painful, it still is not fair. It doesn't seem right. What resource does Christianity give that no one else does? Job, throughout the whole Bible, he said, "What? Well, I'm an innocent sufferer. I fear God. I shun the evil. I've done nothing wrong. Stop telling me I did something wrong. But the reality is he wasn't fully innocent 
because there is no one innocent. The Bible says, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's only been one who was truly innocent sufferer, and he really didn't deserve it, Jesus Christ. Throughout the whole book of Job, Job says, I've been cut off. God's not listening to me. He's not answering my prayers. No, Job. The whole time, God was in control of you. From the very beginning, God told the accuser, look, you can do this, but you can't do that. You can do that, but you cannot do that. God was always, though God was not the one who brings the suffering, God was always the one in control of the suffering. And though Job did not realize it, the whole entire time, God was not cut off from Job. God was there hedging Job in such a way where his life will not be taken. He was never cut off. There's only one person who was truly cut off, who cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He literally, God the Father, literally forsook Jesus Christ the Son. Jesus Christ, not only, not only did God forsake him, God the Father was the one who smited him. To Job, God said, you cannot touch his life. To Jesus, he says, I will be the one who takes his life. Job, you're not the innocent sufferer. Job, you weren't fully cut off. Jesus Christ is the only true innocent one. And though Job's prayer blesses three friends, Jesus' prayer saved the whole entire world. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It is finished. I'll tell you this. While I do not know why you are going through your specific suffering, why, I, I, I'll, tell you specific, I'll tell you honestly, I do not know why you are going through your specific suffering, but I can tell you this. I can tell you why it isn't. It isn't because he's far from you. It isn't because he's distant. It isn't because he doesn't love you. It isn't because he does not care. What we have in Christianity is a God who loved his people so much that he stepped into humanity, walked among his people, lay his life down for his people to draw near to his people so that what? They can draw near to him. It isn't because God does not want you, that God hates you, that God is smiting you because he is upset with you. Is that because that God despises you? It isn't that. What we see on the cross is Jesus Christ doing what? Greater love than this. No greater love than this than he who would lay down his life for his friend. For the joy set before me, he endured the cross, the Bible says. And you were the joy. He became familiar with your pain. He wasn't unfamiliar with what you're going through. He suffered for you, Scripture says. And if you understand that, you, you realize that if you understand that if the Savior of the world has undergone suffering, that the Savior of the world himself is not far from my pain, that understands my predicament, if the Savior of the world can embrace that, then there must 
be something more. Though I cannot give you as a pastor, and I'm sorry if you were looking for it, the specific answer to the specific suffering that you have, I can tell you this, it is not because you're not loved. It is not because you're being punished. It is not because you're being despised. He has purposes for his children in the suffering. That's the beauty of, he has purposes for his children in the suffering. If he would not even spare his son in order to bring the salvation of the world, he has purposes for his children in the suffering. We have a resource in Christianity that gives us a foundation to hold on to, to stand strong. You're allowed to grieve. You're allowed to cry. Jesus did. But in the end of the day, still be able to stand and say, I am a servant, and he is the master. I am a son, I am a daughter, and he is the father. There is something, there is something that I do not understand on this side of heaven. The three perspectives I hope that you guys have. If you would dare to draw near to God, I promise you, suffering will come in one form or another. And when suffering comes... When suffering shows its face, you can either push God away and say, you know what, curse God and die. Or you can do the right thing as Job did. Know who you are before God. Who am I that I will darken your counsel? I spoke of things I did not understand. I have heard of who you are and now I have seen you and I repent in dust and ashes. He knew who he was before God. He recognized his position before God. He recognized his status before God. He recognized that this is an infinite God and I am man. He had the perspective of of what? That in the suffering, will I be a servant still or will I run? What is my true colors? What is, what is it that I'm really worshiping? What is it that is really at the heart of my worship? Is it truly God or is something else? For Job, it was my servant. I am the servant. He is the master. And the third perspective I want you guys to remember is this. It's at our so our suffering, though we cannot explain it in detail why, and God's not giving it to us in detail why, at least on this side of heaven, we know why it isn't. It cannot be because he does not care. It cannot be because he's not unfamiliar with our pain. It cannot be because he's some vindictive God on the upside looking down on us, pointing fingers. He is the God who defied all logic Even heaven itself shook at the idea of God becoming man, living among his people, suffering, taking the cross for their sins. Here's one practical lesson for you guys. Job, at the end, he he ranted. He complained. He cried out. But he did all those things. You know for why? To get to God. To get to God. To get to encounter God. He was going after God. In comparison to his wife, man, she lost her asset too, right? She lost her children. She lost everything. And she said, curse God and die. In comparison to his buddies, 
Focus on yourself. Curse yourself for who you are. Job wanted to encounter God, and encountering God, he was satisfied because he knew who he was before God. He knew that he was, God was the master and he is the servant. He sought over and over in his grief, in his cries, in his uh, pain, in his suffering, he sought for God. He sought to encounter God. He sought to hear from God. He sought to meet with God. That's what he was doing. So my prayer for you is this. He found the meaning of suffering because he never stopped praying. He never stopped going after God, seeking after God. And I can, all I can tell you is this. That if you will stick with him, if you go after him, reality will come. His reality will hit you. If you dare to draw near to him, to not run, to not hide, to not push him away, but to seek, to fight, to never stop praying, never stop going after, never stop yearning. For the Bible says, if you search for me with all your heart, you will find me. Job found the answer to his suffering because he never stopped going after God. May you as you dare to draw near to him. And when you dare to face your suffering, never stop going after your God. Let's pray.